Thank you. I've been thinking. <laughs> I've been thinking this is quite a remarkable time to be at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. It has been observed that the passage of time is what keeps things from happening all at once. We often fail to appreciate how incremental accomplishments, large and small, form a mosaic representing substantial institutional momentum and achievement. We are not the university that entered this century. Alumni who return to campus inevitably comment on the remarkable changes. They see the physical transformation, but they also recognize this reflects programmatic accomplishments. I thought it might be instructive to remind ourselves of that progress. As a recovering faculty member, I have a 50-minute slide presentation, <laughs> but I'm going to do it in less than 10 minutes, so you're going to have to watch really fast. <laughs> uh, this is what's happened at the university since this turn of the century. We started with two priorities, undergraduate education and research. How have we done? Here's what enrollment has happened over that period of time. Here's what graduation rates have occurred over that time. Here's the average ACT score of our entering class. Here's the percentage of students who have ACT scores between 30 and 36. Here's the progress for non-resident undergraduate students. Here's the progress for international undergraduate students. Total research expenditures have, increasingly, have increased over the entire period of the time. Uh, in the turn of the century, we were a landlocked campus with little room to grow, but we found some places. This is what Antelope Valley and the campus looked like uh, prior to the turn of the century. Uh, this is how you got to Devaney and to what the floodplain prevented us from using most of our grounds for. Here is what it looks like today. Textron, 17 acres next to Whittier School, which uh, beginning uh, sometime this fall, the buildings will be taken down and they'll be ready for development. And of course, your favorite and mine, State Fair Park. Look at what the construction has occurred uh, to advance our programs. And we shouldn't forget that buildings reflect growing programs. The Kaufman Center for the Rake School, Othmer for chemical engineering and other engineering programs, the renovation of Avery for math and computer, computer science, the Shore Building for computer science research, Richards, repurposed for art, Anderson, a purchase for the College of Mass, uh, Journalism and Mass Communications. The expansion of Teachers College. The expansion of the Barclay Center. The renovation of Hamilton Hall, including the renovation of chemical teaching, chemistry teaching laboratories. The building of, of Jurgensen Hall for physics and the Volte Keegan nano manufacturing facility. The Morrison, Ken Morrison Life Science Research Facility for Virology. The renovation of Kime Hall for plant science and, an, and the Animal Science Center. The, the renovation of Alexander for admissions and for research. 
the construction of the visitor center and the Ross Film Theater, the re renovation of Whittier for research and the construction of the child care center, the development of new tech ventures to commercialize our innovations, the expansion of the College of Law, the construction of the library storage facility, one of our more attractive buildings, I would add. <laughs> the expansion of the, of the Carson Theater and the Lead Commons, the Quilt Center, an internationally known and recognized building, Jackie Gone Multicultural Center, addition to the Student Union, and then dormitories, we have in effect changed the face of university housing over this last decade. So here's Knoll and the courtyards and the village and the suites. We even built parking garages and more parking garages. <laughs> In athletics, the construction and opening this year of the East Stadium but more important, the inclusion in that project of a significant research enterprise, collaboration between academics and, and athletics. The Hendricks Training Complex for basketball and other sports, and Devaney repurposed for volleyball. In our outstate facilities, which many of you don't get to see, there have been renovations in building and growth as well. So the research and education building at ARDC at Meade and the education building at the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory. And that's where we, that's, those are the projects we've completed and there may be more, we keep finding them as we think about it. But for our future, we have a master plan that shows how we can construct additional facilities on the city campus and on the east campus, suggesting the, the uh, construction of a mall system with opening the historic East Campus Mall to Holdridge and redoing the Memorial Mall from the stadium to what will be the new CBA building at 14th. That's what the new CBA building looks like conceptually. Uh, the repurposing of our libraries to restore them to being the academic success core for the campus, both Love and C.Y. Thompson redoing the student unions to respond to the social needs of our students in both East and City campus. Construction will begin on BRACE for the expansion of life science teaching laboratories and additional classroom space for the campus, hopefully leading up to a major expansion of MANTOR in the life sciences. A new student health center, which we still intend to pursue along the Antelope Valley corridor. Campus Rec, finally a renovation of the campus rec facility on the East Campus, and the Outdoor Adventure Center on the City Campus. The RAP, which is another parking garage, but this time wrapped with private sector housing to bring more of our, our undergraduate upperclassmen back to the campus. And of course, Innovation Campus, the concept and the current reality, it's underway. And we shouldn't forget that the surroundings of the campus are critically important for us as well. And there's been much done. This is the WRK project on the corner of 33rd and uh, Holdridge, which will uh, create more vibrancy for the East Campus. Centennial Mall, which leads into the campus from the state capitol. The Catholic Newman Center and other activities that will make us more competitive for students of that faith. 
P Street, all of you who have been on P Street lately knows that it's, it's an extraordinary different place than it was six years ago. The plaza on 13th and P and the Caneco sculpture. And of course, Pinnacle Bank Arena and the Haymarket developments. And soon, we hope, the Breslau Ice Center. It seems to me that's a remarkable century and we ought to all be proud of it. September marks the flowering of intellectual vitality of our new faculty colleagues and the energy of our returning students. It is a good time to marvel at the talent that a set of circumstances and coincidences have brought together in one place. To showcase a small slice of that talent, I'm pleased to present UNL's a cappella ensemble, Ractavo, all of whom are members of UNL's Varsity Men's Chorus, Ractavo was founded in 2006, and its first year was named first runner-up at the International Championships of Collegiate a cappella. Since then, Ractavo has performed for important gatherings of musical educators across the country. This morning, they will perform Nebraska, arranged by a former member of the group, and the longtime standard for the longest time. no place like Nebraska, dear old Nebraska, you. We'll all stick together in all types of weather for dear old Nebraska, you. There is no place like Nebraska, dear old Nebraska, you. We'll all stick together in 
All types of weather for dear old Nebraska. There is no place there is no there is no place there is no place Nebraska. When I woke up this morning, I looked at my iPhone app. It said there was 0% chance of rain today. <laughs> it also says by the time we're done here, it will be sunny outside. So uh, I've been asked to announce you can pick up your lunches at the visitor center and then go outside and eat them. <laughs> In Through the Looking Glass, the Red Queen advised Alice now here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. That observation applies to where we've been and where we are going. Running twice as fast as we can is hard work, and you might fairly ask why we should do it. There are many answers, most of which are embedded in the opportunities we have created, but only partially realized. We are comfortably a Big Ten university, but that generates higher expectations for our achievements. We serve Nebraska in our role of producing and attracting talent and in supporting and generating economic growth. Never has the state been better positioned to utilize its natural advantages with our help to successfully compete in the world's economy. We should not underestimate the boost in pride and spirit and energy across Nebraska that results from our academic successes. With our research initiatives like Water for Food, Early Childhood, Manufacturing, Nanoscience, Agricultural Life Sciences, Digital Humanities, Brain Biology and Behavior, the Rural Futures Institute, and many others, we have the potential to contribute to the solution of real problems around the world. If we increase our enrollment, it will provide the benefits of scale, additional faculty, as well as the resources necessary to achieve our ambitions. We often pay homage to the turn of the century, last century, when Willa Cather and Roscoe Pound and others brought us national prominence. Our goal should be no less than when the next history of the university is written. It will be the beginning of the 21st century, not the turn of the 20th, that is regarded as our golden age 
when we, we regained our rightful place among the leading universities in the country. I am reluctant to propose an agenda for this year. I inadvertently overheard a conversation between two deans, which I fear may have been directed at me. The first dean said, he knows the voices in his head aren't real, <laughs> but he has a tendency to think their ideas are insightful. The second dean responded, yeah, some people think he has a lot of self-confidence, but I think it's just a great faith in fools. And my wife keeps suggesting that I'm at a stage in my life when I have a hard time caring about things. I don't think that's true, but fortunately, I don't care. <laughs> so let me comment on some matters that require our attention. We have been driven by the ambitious growth goals we set for the university two years ago. Frankly, I underestimated the infrastructure we would have to build and the level of new activities we would have to undertake in order to move the enrollment needle. But we have made the investments, and with the extraordinary commitment of the deans and faculty and staffs at the college and the leadership of Dean Alan Servany and Associate Dean Amber Williams, this year's freshman class is among the largest, most diverse, and most academically gifted in our history. It reflects increases in Nebraskans and students from other states and students from countries around the world. Accommodating this growth has required careful planning from chairs and deans and the personal commitment from our faculty whose willingness to engage with undergraduates distinguishes us from many research universities. I am impressed by the overwhelming number of our faculty who have involved undergraduate students in their studios, their labs, and their research teams. I continue to marvel at the commitment of our faculty at, to find one more chair, virtual or real, for each student who seeks their classes. I admire the many departments and colleges that are advancing innovative curricula and teaching methods that will challenge and inspire this newest generation of freshmen. Our students represent a pool of impressive but not yet fully formed talent and leadership for the state, the country, and the world and we have the important and exciting opportunity to help them fashion their own story of success. Our goal is to exceed expectations for retention and graduation rates and time to degree. Through the leadership of the deans and faculty and with the talented oversight of Amy Goodburn and her team in academic affairs, we are remaking academic advising, becoming more intentional in reaching out to students who are facing challenges and creating a culture that accepts our responsibility to assure students maximize their talents and achieve a diploma within a reasonable time. The Division of Student Affairs under the direction of Vice Chancellor Franco is making student engagement its priority, including initiatives in civic engagement, service learning, living and learning communities, enhanced programmings for groups of students who face special challenges, including first-generation students, veterans, out-of-state and international students, and other, other high-impact activities that support student retention and graduation. And the physical and programmatic improvements by university housing are also essential to our enrollment success. Engagement on a global platform is critical to our enrollment objectives as well as important for enriching our campus. Major investments in our intensive English program 
and a number of outreach efforts in housing, academic tutoring, and the writing centers will help international students transition. Online education should contribute to enrollment growth through the form it takes may remain uncertain. A faculty task force has provided us with a cautious yet sensible set of issues to consider. Collaboration through the CIC may provide a platform for innovation in digital teaching and learning. A second task force will convene this fall to consider which path best fits our goals and values. Existing online efforts continue to expand. 70% of our online enrollments are by students who are also resident students on our campus. This allows flexibility in scheduling, increased teaching capacity, implementation of different teaching methodologies, all very positive outcomes, but they do not contribute to our enrollment or revenue growth. We are committed to re-examining ways we finance online instruction to ensure it creates appropriate incentives to engage broader markets. This no doubt will include providing departments with a more substantial share of online revenue from courses taken by students not already enrolled at UNL. We must increase the size of the tenure track faculty. This is central to our growth plan and essential to our research aspirations. INR announced a major hiring initiative to increase tenure track faculty by 10% and is on track to complete this hiring by the end of the calendar year. In academic affairs, Differential tuition in the Colleges of Business Administration and Engineering, strategic use of programs of excellence funding will jumpstart our faculty growth. To demonstrate my confidence in our enrollment trajectory, I will work with Senior Vice Chancellor Weisinger to identify additional funds for new faculty hiring in our highest reputation and research priorities in academic affairs to complement the INR hiring plan. In the era of federal sequestration, sustaining our incredible growth in research faces very significant challenges. Vice Chancellor Paul and our faculty research leaders have redoubled their efforts to connect with the federal funding agencies. If we are continue to be successful, we must broaden our faculty leadership, both through strategic hiring and further development of existing faculty. We must also continue to build relationships with other sources of research funding, including private industry. The expansion of our partnership with Bayer Crop Sciences to now include soybean research is an example of that potential. Creative mechanisms to solve issues of intellectual property and the recovery of indirect costs can greatly enhance our attractiveness to private companies. Recognizing the value of research with private sector partners in our promotion and tenure processes is critical. In expanding our engagement with the private sector, we need not and we will not jeopardize our academic values or traditions, we will only extend our reach. Indeed, our outreach to Nebraska citizens and businesses remains a crucial element of our enterprise. 2014 will be the 100th anniversary of the Smith-Lever Act, creating cooperative extension, an appropriate opportunity to envision new and creative models to serve the public. Universities face increasing pressures to hold themselves accountable to the students and the public they serve. We can no longer shoot first and call whatever we hit our target. Our priorities are consistent with what our constituents expect and need. By announcing our growth goals two years ago, we adopted metrics for the institution against which we can and will be measured. In adopting the Achievement-Centered Education Program for under edu undergraduate education, 
we announced our understanding of the general purpose of a degree a university like ours provides to give students intellectual and practical skills, including communications and computational competence in order to stimulate critical and creative thinking, to build knowledge across a range of disciplines and methodologies to help solve problems, to infuse ethical principles and global awareness to stimulate their social responsibilities, and to help them learn to integrate these abilities and adapt them to new settings. We are properly held accountable in our general, for our general education program within our accreditation process. As the individual costs of higher education increase, students, parents, and the public at large also increasingly want to hold us accountable for the employment experience of our graduates. This has certainly reflected in President Obama's recent proposals for higher education reform. While our role is to prepare students for a lifetime of success and not for their first job, we have not been unmindful of their career aspirations and attainment. I propose that our activities here should become more visible and more systematic, and that we should embrace public scrutiny of our accomplishments. We should become more proactive on two fronts. First, every discipline should provide students with realistic information about how education in that discipline relates to career opportunities. And second, we should more systematically monitor the level of career services and success achieved by our graduates. Focusing students on career potential will, for some, give a context to the pursuit of the degree and may lead to better retention and graduation. Measuring the career success of our graduates will provide a better understanding of our, how our students take advantage of the education we provide. We should begin to develop a measurement of the career assistance available to students within the departments and colleges. Bill Watts, who was recently named our Director for Career Services, will work with the deans to conduct an audit of the programming we currently provide in academic units. For example, we should look at the website of the psychology department, which provides extensive career information for psychology graduates, and the work of the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, which has had consistently high career placement rates. We might then design a menu of best practices for career assistance and suggest outcome measures against which each undergraduate major could evaluate its progress. Over the course of the next three years, we should be positioned to collect and report career assistance outcome data. We should follow the same schedule to ask the Office of Career Services to design and report outcome measures for our success with regard to career goal attainment. As I announced earlier this year, the increasing responsibility of academic units to provide career assistance has led me to move our Career Services Office to academic affairs. While a centralized career service office is critical as a service to both employers and students, we need more engagement and more integration of career activities with individual colleges, departments, and majors. Senior Vice Chancellor Weisinger and I will work with the deans to identify resources that can allow us to add additional college-embedded professionals and programs that enhance the scope and effectiveness of our career development efforts. In addition to reporting our progress toward all of these goals on a university-wide basis, we should do so by department or major. We should be sensitive to avoid incentives for destructive internal competition because collaboration among our colleges and departments is one of our most important differentiators from our peers. 
We will engage the deans to help us design the departmental metrics and a website to display the information publicly. Disciplines and individuals have different strengths that often evolve over time. At the same time, every discipline and every individual should find a way to make a significant contribution to one or more of our priorities and be appropriately recognized for that contribution. Every department or program should have a conversation to determine where it can make the greatest contribution and be judged accordingly. These conversations would normally result in the department making changes in student recruitment, curriculum design, research activity, or other activities. Similarly, through the faculty apportionment process, I am specifically asking that this year, every department chair or dean have a serious conversation with each faculty member to judge whether adjustments to their responsibilities could maximize their contribution to our priorities. I would expect these conversations to produce greater connection between faculty time and talent and the aspirations of the university. The intent of these apportionment conversations is not to ask faculty to work harder, but rather to allow each of us to connect our most valuable passion to the campus's most important needs. I will ask every dean to specifically report back to their respective vice chancellors about the effect of these conversations on altering faculty assignments and therefore expanding capacity for important contributions to our goals. I will ask the vice chancellors to share this information with me. This will no doubt be a series, first of a series of conversations needed to maximize faculty talents and contributions. We do not intend at this point to adopt an explicit set of incentives or disincentives tied to these metrics. However, it should be commonly understood that we have no choice but to make investments in those areas that can help us achieve the ambitious goals we have for the university. This year, the university, the governor, and the legislature agreed to a compact on tuition and state support that allowed the university to avoid any increase in tuition to resident students. This has reinvigorated the partnership between the state and the university to achieve a quality university and to help the, the university remain accessible to those of modest means. Nonetheless, the system-wide budget requires some budget reallocations. We have three additional campus-specific issues, the $2 million deficit we imposed temporarily last year, approximately $570,000 in increased operating costs for new buildings, and some as yet undetermined increased support required for information technology. I am working with the vice chancellors to identify permanent reductions as far from the academic enterprise as possible that will allow us to eliminate some of this structural deficit. On the positive side, we were able to provide a full 3% salary increase pool for faculty and staff. The Board of Regents has authorized funds for programs of excellence that permit continuing investment in high priority programs. Most importantly, our enrollment increase this year should provide us with some budgetary relief. It's too early to say whether or how much additional reallocation will be necessary. If further reductions are required, I'm hopeful they will be modest enough that we will not need to experience the disruption that an elaborate budget exercise produces. Before I conclude, let me make brief comments on three subjects. The College of Engineering has captured more than its share of public attention in recent months. Senior Vice Chancellor Weisinger and I are specifically grateful to Dean Tim Way for his capable leadership of the college's strategic direction during this complex phase of growth 
and development. Enhancing and expanding the college has to be one of our highest priorities. At the national level, American competitiveness is jeopardized because of our inability to produce enough engineers, and this is reflected at the local level as well. We have some unique advantages here. The Big Ten is known for quality engineering education, so our brand should be more attractive to both prospective students and faculty. On the Lincoln campus, we have a tradition of committed alumni support and several programs positioned for national recognition. By being located in part in Omaha, the college has closer access to the internationally known engineering and construction firms, large transportation and manufacturing companies, STRATCOM, and the Medical Center. The college intends to contribute to and benefit from Omaha's ambitious economic development goals in that community. The Peter Kiewit Institute, which has the allegiance and support of the Omaha business community, and the Durham School, which has a presence in both Omaha and Lincoln, offer unique opportunities. We cannot be distracted by the few who would raise old Lincoln-Omaha tensions. The irony of that distraction is that the college has never been more focused on positive collaboration with the University of Nebraska-Omaha and with the Omaha community. The interests of the college, of Omaha, and of Nebraska can best be served by making the smart investments necessary to enhance the college in both locations. Getting something like Innovation Campus off the ground is infinitely more complicated than I would have expected, and yet there is continued progress, as you saw from the slide. Construction's begun on four buildings. Conagra is our first and anchor tenant, continues to engage with us over the nature of their investments. And several other companies, some within the food and agriculture space and some from other industries, are expressing serious interest. Vice Chancellor Ronnie Green and the IANR leadership team are in the process of planning for the movement of our entire Department of Food Science and Technology Department to Innovation Campus to build upon the partnership with Conagra and as an opportunity for a number of additional partners in the food innovation arena. This is a result of the significant interaction of this program with industry in recent years and in the potential for much greater collaboration in the future. In making this bold move, the department indeed is becoming the pioneer of Nebraska Innovation Campus and will be exceptionally well positioned to become a national leader. While we should expect food to be an important catalyst for Innovation Campus, I would emphasize again that it is available to any unit that has the potential for attracting private sector partners. The Innovation Campus Faculty Advisory Committee has recommended creating a maker space on Innovation Campus. Conceptually, such a space would be a community accessible, creativity conducive place where students, faculty, and others with similar interests can meet to socialize, collaborate, share, and innovate. Such spaces have been successful in leading innovative companies and range from quiet, empty spaces where human brains think freely to spaces with a variety of tools to build and pursue new ideas. This could become the iconic space for innovation on Innovation Campus and the entry point for all students and faculty. We are exploring how such a space could be realized. We will present the new University Master Plan to the Board of Regents this week. That plan evolved from very engaged conversations with many of you, and I hope you believe the process was open and transparent. It sets our course for developing the physical environment for the campus for the next several years. 
It is the first master plan that also contains a landscape plan. My thanks and appreciation to Jennifer Dam, our campus planner, and Emily Casper, our landscape architect, for their leadership in this effort. The plan's commitment to a new mall system for both campuses, its emphasis on creating indoor and outdoor spaces for social and academic interaction will clearly change how we view and how we use the campus setting. Its focus on transportation systems should bring our three campuses closer together. And most important for our growth goals, the planners have found a way to identify an additional two million square feet of building opportunities and yet have preserved the open spaces necessary to make this feel like a true university campus. This is what it says it is, a plan, a blueprint for future development. However, there are three projects that could serve as immediate catalysts for realizing the plan's potential and for achieving our priorities. The new College of Business Administration building becomes more than just a facility to house the growing size and reputation of our business school, but will stimulate the development of the iconic mall on campus and of reconfiguring and re enhancing the transportation of students between East and City campus. As CBA celebrates its 100th birthday, Dean Dondi Plowman is engaged in the ambitious fundraising effort that will provide the college a worthy home for decades to come. The repurposing of Love and CY Thompson libraries can re-energize these buildings as centers for academic success. I applaud Dean Nancy Bush and her staff for seeing the exciting potential of remaking these critical facilities to better serve our students. And we must find a way to restructure both of our student unions as central hubs of campus life and re-energize them to better attract and serve this generation of students. In conclusion, I can only thank you. Thank you for the contributions each of you make to our collective success. Thank you for your service to the state of Nebraska. Thank you for enduring my 14th State of the University address. I know there are hundreds of individual success stories throughout the campus where Students are conditioned, counseled, and cajoled towards success in their adult lives, and the prospects for new discovery are proposed, pursued, and often accomplished. Some reach my attention and the attention of others. Some do not. All are important, and I salute you for each one, known or unknown. My personal objective for this year is to re-engage as much as time and energy permit with as many of you as possible. I now ask only for a brief extension of your patience. While we play one Pearls of Knowledge video I made just for you. Nebraska. Nebraska. I've been thinking. This is the 14th time I've delivered the State of the University Address. And for those of you playing along, it's the 14th time I've said, it's the 14th time. While I enjoy talking about all the good things you all are accomplishing, there's one aspect of this event that really bothers me. So naturally, I filmed this Pearls video to try and address it. You see, every year I finish the speech, you wake up, politely applaud, and then you get to go out and enjoy the picnic. I, on the other hand, finish the speech, get lost backstage for a good half a minute, get delayed by well-wishers, critics, and the press, 
And by the time I get to the picnic, the food is gone. Thousands of sandwiches. Poof. So while you are, for some reason, I don't understand, still watching this video, I'm first in line. 